This Women's Agenda podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, is supported by Salesforce. Over the last 10 weeks, we have had the incredible privilege of hearing from women leaders who are forging their own paths. We've been invited into a diverse range of fields and sectors, including STEM, medicine, beauty and health, journalism, finance, motivation and HR, and management. These women have shared their leadership philosophies and lessons. They've talked about their own self-doubt and how they've risen above that to the challenge of creating and conquering. They've shared many important traits. They've been honest and open and above all authentic. Before we go to air with any guest, I always ask if there's anything they don't want to talk about. None of our female guests took anything off the table. All of them shared their stories with us so that we might learn and grow and understand how leadership can look different, sound different, and be different to the way we've been conditioned to think about it. Hi, I'm Shirley Chowdhury, the host of the Women's Agenda podcast, The Leadership Lessons, supported by Salesforce. In this week's episode, the first wrap-up of Series 4, we look at three areas that our guests spoke about, leadership philosophies, self-doubt and resilience. In this first wrap-up, we revisit what drove them and how our guests developed into the leaders that they've become. Not surprisingly, none of them set out to be a leader, and many have trouble describing themselves as a leader even today. Humility, fairness and drive were common themes as was the desire to solve a problem that existed. We heard from Michaela Jade on how she didn't set out to be a leader. John T. Lowe and Michaela don't see themselves as leaders, but describe qualities that we see in them in spades when describing what a leader is. Christy Chong describes all our guests when she describes authentic and collaborative leadership. Nina Mapson-Bone takes a long-term approach and gives people the benefit of the doubt. Contrast this to Raina McIntyre, who is very upfront about the behaviours that are not acceptable. Sophie and Wendy McCarthy talk about career planning, and then we close leadership philosophies with Bronte Charles and Charlotte Ryan, who talk about what inspires them as young Indigenous women starting out on their career journey. Firstly, no, I did not set out to be a leader. I never thought I had any leadership qualities. I mentioned earlier that I even failed school, so I thought academically I'm not very smart. Um, And, you know, I was kind of a kid that had a small but really tight group of friends and, you know, I just I didn't show any like traditional leadership qualities as I was growing up and didn't believe myself to be a leader. Um, The way that I went about doing things was just seeing a need and going, well, no one else is going to bloody build it, so I better start doing something about this and just doing it and learning how to speak about it and learning how to share ideas and learning how to bring other people along and let them influence the outcome of what I was trying to achieve. I I still don't think I'm a leader. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I don't have any sense of myself in that way. I, um, I just want to do good work and make change and hopefully, like, you know, in, in the old days I didn't have this rule but my, my new role is the, I just won't work with assholes anymore. I'm not one for hierarchy. I don't like people treating people differently according to their job title uh, or place of work. I've, I've just, I've never subscribed to that. I just don't like it. I think humans are human 
uh, everyone has strengths, everyone has weaknesses, and you can learn something from everyone. I don't think you can really describe what a leader is because there's so many different types of people that are leaders and the types of leadership they demonstrate is like hugely or vastly different. Um, You know, I've had leaders in my life that have been very vocal and forthright and kind of lead from the front. But some of the most influential leaders in my life have been the quiet ones that are sitting at the back of the room and they're leading that room by the way that they move their heads or their facial expressions. So (laughs) I think like my most of my mob would say this too, that your first brain is in your gut. So learning to trust your gut as your first brain and then having your the brain that's in your head is your second brain um, is something I've tried to lean into as I've gone on this journey because, yep, it's never wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big believer in authentic leadership. So, you know, I, I think who I am at work is who I am at home. And so that's very important. I'm a big believer in driving business results but with collaboration and obviously that is harder you know I, I do believe in some form of hybrid model I'm, I'm not a big believer of full-time I mean we have to do it right now obviously with lockdown in Sydney but I'm a, I'm a big believer in some hybrid model because you just need that little bit of staff spirit and those spontaneous moments where you come up with ideas together I'm, always, I'm a very conscious leader. That's a leadership style that I try to encourage in my leadership team. It's like we need to listen to everybody and ask for their opinions and draw them out. It's just very easy to have your own voice heard all the time. So Yeah, it becomes an echo chamber. It does. And I'm always like, challenge me, challenge me. <laughs> I think the main thing I do, Shirley, is I try and learn from everybody. You know, everybody I work with, people that I interact with in the leadership groups I'm involved with, I try and look at at the way different people do things. And I try and think to myself, what do I think works? And I also learn from people that I think are doing things that don't work. I take a very long term thinking approach to things. So I understand when I see people, what I think are making leadership mistakes, often it's a short term approach because they're fearful or they're nervous or they're scared or they're worried about the results. So they try and push harder when that's the wrong thing to do at that point in time, for example. So I try and often think to myself, I really try and separate my personal emotional response from things and think about what is going to get the outcome. Where do I want the business to go? Where do I want our people to be? How do I want them to feel? Because that goes a long way to where the business will go. And what's the best thing I can do in a moment to actually help that happen? I, I, I'm famous internally. I draw I've got all sorts of weird leadership things I do to train people. But one of them is I draw a picture of uh, an airplane gone to the days where we used to fly from Sydney to London. I'm originally from London, you know, and I would do a little track of the airplane and how it often goes off path. There's, you know, uh, certain airspaces they can't fly in. There might be storms that they have to avoid. And I talk about how on certain points of that journey, it looks like they're not going to make it to London. On certain points of the journey, it looks like they could even be going in the wrong direction, depending on what's happened through that flight. But with their experience and with autopilot, they have absolute faith that if they do the right things, they're going to land in London. And guess what? They always land in London. So I talk a lot about don't let the little things push you off course. You know, you do need to look and work out. Are they big things? And should you adjust? Because there are times when you do need to. But if it's a little thing, don't let that blow you off course and change attack entirely. Have faith and confidence that if you keep doing the right things, then the results will come because you can't control the outcomes, but you can control your behaviours. So focus on what you can control, focus on your behaviours, and it will lead to the outcomes you're wanting rather than get too wedded to the outcomes. There's a huge spectrum of ability of people. And I learned that fairly early on when I started managing people that you can't expect everyone else to work to the same capacity and standard as you do because not everyone has the ability. So you've got to 
quickly understand what people's capacity is and and then tailor what your expectations to their capacity. Um, so I learned that pretty early on. Um, but I also learned that my capacity for work and for juggling multiple um, things is probably much greater than most people's. Just follow your own path and don't try to be someone else and don't waste your time, you know, comparing yourself to other people. I've also, I always um, impress upon people the importance of honesty and trust that, you know, for me, you know, if I, people on my team, I tell everyone on my team as soon as they come on that trust is more important to me than um, competence or, or um, efficiency. I can tolerate a bit of inefficiency as long as someone's trustworthy, you know, that trust is the number one thing. And and I also, one thing I've learned is not to give second chances. You know, if someone lets you down, betrays you, stabs you in the back, you're not going to be able to change that person. You, you'll just save yourself a lot of pain by cutting them loose. So I, I tell that too to people now um, who come on board that they won't get second chances. I think it's always a good idea to think about where you might be a couple of years ahead. I think it's about dreaming and imagining and, and thinking about where you might be. And as I said, you know, as a principal of a girls' school, I always had this thing, well, not always, but after I'd been teaching, I grew to love teaching young women. I just adored them. I adored their dreams. I adored their frailties and so on. And it was also probably, in a way, the beginning of my mentoring career because I had girls in troubled circumstances, girls in extraordinarily wealthy circumstances in the US when I was teaching there. And I felt by then that one thing for me would be sometime to be a school principal. And I applied for jobs as school principal twice. And on my, on my way to an interview once, I got a phone call from the person who said, look, we've decided you're not actually a practicing Christian, not that they'd asked me, um, and you can't come to the interview. And I thought, okay, that's going into the dream car, but that's the end of that story. I'm going to move my face around and do something else. So I, like Sophie, am a risk taker and except in matters of sex and contraception. But it's important to be able to manage risk and to think about how you can manage risks. There's something about caring about something enough to make you brave and take a risk. Leadership's an opportunity for everybody. It can be the, it can be the smallest gesture. It can be someone who runs the little sets up the little athletics club because they can see a need for exercise and opportunity for kids in the community. I mean, every little leadership action grows a bigger action if it's managed well. And you know, the, really, the biggest definition of leadership is you've got followers. I think to survive and do all the things you want, you do need to be opportunistic. And I think I definitely have. I did always assume I'd have a career, but that's probably because I had the mother I had who, you know, possible and was a role model and I knew a lot of her peer group. But I hit a few walls and I just sort of went around it or jumped over it. I think one of my reflections now as someone who's 53 is that I didn't stick around long enough to sort of wait it out. And perhaps I just didn't trust that there was going to be a great pathway ahead of me. So, I mean, the first career I had as a researcher, I did love a lot of things about it, but I was too noisy and I was too chatty and I just ultimately thought if I'm going to be stuck in this room for the next 10 years, I'm going to die. So even though I found it intellectually really interesting, the work, it wasn't enough. I wanted to do sort of more. And I think I was also one of those people that very young 
like even when I was at uni or straight out of uni, I just wanted to do about five things. So I just did them all at the same time, which is probably not a great idea. So, you know, I was working as a researcher. I was doing a counselling course because I thought I might still want to be a counsellor. I was working for a not-for-profit sort of voluntarily. You know, I was having a life as well. I think my leadership philosophy comes from my dad. He's such a special person to me. Um, He is generally a very special person. He is. And I guess he's instilled in me that you can do anything, you can be anything. And as cliche as it sounds, he's right. I remember I would be going to Pimble from Redfern Housing Commission and it's just such a different, it's such a change in environments. And I remember one time Dad was driving me to school and he said you can do just as well as every girl in every classroom that you sit in and basically that I could do anything and I've kind of adopted that mentality and brought that into uni with with me and uni has been such a confronting experience no um, no one in my family has ever gone to uni before but I'm loving it and I deserve to be there and that's such a big thing for an Aboriginal person to say I've met so many amazing Aboriginal people there and they're lifelong friends and they're all getting HD's distinctions. They're all incredible and we have such a strong cohort, Charlotte included, at Macquarie Uni. My dad was right, like, I can do anything, I can be anything and that's what I'm doing, that's what I'm trying to be, trying to be that change for my little sisters and my mum even, my cousins up in Darwin might be a little cliche to say but I think from you Shirley um honestly I think growing up I did see great role models of leadership but um it wasn't really until I started with Go that I saw just amazing role models and just the way you led Go for so many years and in such a positive and just really amazing honorable way to lead an Indigenous scholarship organization um, and provide so many opportunities to young Indigenous people just really shone a light on what I would want to be as a leader and you're always so welcoming and you develop such strong and close relationships with everyone you talk to and yeah that's what really I'm even modeling at work through (laughs) talking to my patients I just try and be the most honest and open person I can be just really (laughs) channel my inner Shirley. (laughs) We are often our worst critics our own nagging voices in our head fuel our self-doubt confirm external criticism and hold us back from being the best versions of ourselves that we can be. In Series 4, our guests confirmed how common this is. They shared how incessant the voices in their heads can be and how on some days it's just hard to get out of bed. How many of us were touched by and could identify with Mariam Muhammad's raw honesty that she was having a bad day and that it was just hard to get up? Michaela described her shitty self-talk as almost putting her in a grave and shared how important her ancestors are in pushing her to be the best that she can be. For all of us, it's another lesson that we can learn from our First Nations people. Take a listen to Michaela and Mariam again and then from Sharon Shooter on how natural negative self-talk is and from Christy Chong and Terea Pitt on how to turn negative self-talk around. You know, shitty self-talk can put you in a grave if you're not careful. Um, I nearly went there and that was kind of rock bottom for me, Shirley. And once you've been there, 
you never want to go back. <laughs> and I always try and say to myself, like, firstly, I survived that. Um, nothing will be that bad ever again. Secondly, my ancestors didn't go through what they went through for me not to get over this or to try harder or to make it work. So, um, and also, also I think the third thing I try and think of is, is this is this within kind of my locus of influence or is it not? And often like we have really big ethical discussions about, you know, who we'll partner with and who we won't partner with in this journey. And if it's, if we're saying we can do something, but this doesn't feel right, I kind of try and unpack that a little bit and say, is it because what we're trying to do won't actually make a difference or we can't influence it because it's too big? Like where is our locus of influence in this kind of opportunity? And if it's, if it's not a hell yes, it's kind of a hell no. <laughs> it is definitely my own voice. It is my inner critic. However, that is a learned behavior from my mother. So my mother is a perfectionist and I am a recovering perfectionist is how I like to put it. So I learned from her to be a perfectionist, which means I have um, control issues. So when I first started the business, I very much liked to be the person doing everything because everything had to be done the way it was in my head. And you learn that skill over time that something is better done imperfectly than not done at all. So it is definitely my own voice in my head. What I've learned over time, though, to answer your first question is how I deal with it, is that that voice is my inner demon. It is not the voice of truth. It is not the voice of universal truth because there ain't no such thing. But to be able to reason with that voice, to challenge it, is a skill that I have learned over time. Because when I think, especially during teenagers and, and for some people throughout their lives, we will believe that voice kind of as if it's the voice of truth, right? Like, oh, it's my inner voice. It must be telling me um, the the right thing, the true thing. It's like, a real journey, isn't it? To actually confront your inner voice and say, actually, stop. Yeah. And, and, and question it like, oh, okay. So you think I'm really stupid. Well, why, what, what evidence do you have? The way my therapist puts it, okay. Is you play judge with the two voices, the outward voice and the inner voice. And you, you ask them both, what evidence have you got? At one point when I was first learning this skill, my therapist trained me to talk to myself the way I talked to my partner my then partner, because I would never say that shit to him. So why would I say that to myself? But again, it's important to have that conversation of challenging. What am I doing right now? Why am I having this conversation in my head? Why is my brain in this place? Like, whereas in reality, I am here. I am not under that threat but I feel like I am and actually playing it out I think I mean that's that's what I do so I will I will ask the voice in my head like oh you think I'm stupid excuse me what proof have you got I mean it's very natural to have self-doubt I don't think there's anybody who doesn't have self-doubt and my mantra is just keep walking that's what I do um, it comes in, it tells me you can't do this or you're going to fail or why are you doing this? You know, because sometimes I joke about it going like, you know, when you live this kind of life and you're always doing things and trying new things, you're also always exposing yourself to failure and humiliation. Right. 
So it's very natural. Like uh, the every time before I launch a thing the night before, it's like, why do you do this? You're gonna tomorrow's that day. Oh, you're gonna be humiliated on a global scale. Oh my god, everybody's gonna laugh at you now because also the bigger you get, the higher up you are to be humiliated even more. So it gets harder and harder. It doesn't even get easier. The first thing you do is the easiest thing because you have nowhere to fall, right? It's like you're already down there, you're like, who cares? Um, and and that's when that self-doubt really comes in and comes to play. And you know, your mind starts to remind you of all the things that didn't go right and that you've done in the past or whatever. And so for me, I just push through because I always tell people the thing you have to be mindful of is emotions are present, but they're only as real as you want to make them, right? Um, they're there, they're fleeting thoughts, they're things that flash in our head, but they only become real when we make them real. It's like fear, right? I used to be afraid of heights. I still am. But there's two reactions I can have. I could be standing on somewhere and then freak out. And that's actually where I'm going to fall. Or I can stand in that moment and go, no, I'm not afraid of heights. I'm afraid of falling. And there is a handrail here and a glass between me and this thing. So guess what? I cannot fall. Ergo, I'm not going to run away from this platform no matter how I feel. And within 10 minutes, you're good again. That's how I handle everything. That's how I handle those voices of self-doubt. I go, you're not real, right? The only thing that's real is what I make real. And to be honest, most of the time it's you're not real and I don't care, right? I don't care if it works, if it doesn't work. Yes, it's not nice to do things that fail, but it's another chapter and another page in the book of this life that I've been thrown into. I've had moments of breaking down and maybe I should give up, but majority of the time it's been like that's a day or a night and then you get over it and I'm going, wow, gosh, it just spurs me on to do better. And if that person rejected me, I'm like, I'm going to show you. (laughs) I'm going to get over that hurdle. So I think there's a little bit of, um, and I'll be honest, this fiery anger that comes through from me um, and I don't like defeat. But, you know, I have failed. There's been little failures along the way. But, yeah, I think ultimately I'm I'm driven to sort of fix it. And I said that problem solving, I, I always believe there's another way to do something. Something's not working right now. What's the next thing? My self-talk is probably better than a lot of people's and that's because I had a really great upbringing I had two really strong role models for parents um, and my mum was a master of, of self-talk and 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 you know positive self-talk and all of those things so even as a young kid I had that ingrained in me and I think obviously that really served me well after my accident trying to put together the pieces of my life again I think now what I do is because you know we've all got that voice inside our head that just you know mine is incessant in you know like you sound like an idiot you don't know what you're saying you look like an idiot Shirley's gonna wonder why she asked you to be on the podcast blah 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 and so there's a couple of things you can do right if it's just you you can try and speak to yourself like you would speak to your kids so I would never say to my son Huckabye you're an idiot you don't know what you're doing you're gonna look like a fool I would never say that to him so I try and stop myself try and notice it be conscious of it to start with and try and speak to myself like I would speak to one of my kids but another thing is if you're giving that voice inside your head airtime, then your attention is there and it's not placed on well how how can you give back to someone else? How can you be of service? How, you know, rather than me listening to that voice right now, Shirley, I could be thinking about the questions that you're asking me and and doing a really good job on this podcast so people f- listen to it and they think, hey, that was a really great podcast between Terea and Shirley and Terea's got this running program. I'm going to go, I'm going to go check it out and look it up. So I guess just trying to change, trying to change my focus and trying to be 
be in the present moment with someone, I find that's really helpful for me as well. But finally, it's just accepting it. Like I just go, yeah, I've heard you before. Like you're always there. I get it, but I'm just going to do this anyway. I don't care what you say. And yet all our guests were able and are able every day to tame their inner critic and rise to the challenge of creating, of leading and of being an exemplar in what they do. Whilst we all yearn for the successes, it is impossible to have a life without failure and setbacks. Ultimately, what counts is how we stand up, how we face our fears, how we tell the naysayers to stop and how we forge our own path. In a year that has been so hard for women, Madison Howarth at the beginning of her journey shared a poignant reminder of how hard it's been and what drives her to get up every day. Bronte and Maddie, like Michaela, honour their ancestors and those who came before in everything they do. Our Indigenous Australians still face inequity, and like Bronte and Maddie, who are first in family to go to university, they take that responsibility very seriously. Mariam talked about her why and the need to make the world a better place. Jonti talked about sheer grit and gave the credit to her gene pool although her motivation is to do good work and with good people. Raina McIntyre showed us the importance of an inner confidence and a belief in the fact that you know what you're doing. And finally, Sharon Shooter believes in the good in everyone. So I spoke at the Women's Agenda Leadership Awards recently and I spoke of how this past year has been really hard for people of colour Indigenous people and women and how we are all so tired from how hard it has been having the same conversations that we've had for a long time and there has been a shift but it's been a lot of emotional work for us and so I was wondering how we keep going, how we keep persevering and um, what keeps me going is thinking about the women especially in my life, who have come before, who haven't had the opportunities. Like your grandma, who you talked once about your grandma who didn't get an education and yet you think about that when you walk through the gates at Redfern. Yeah, so my great-grandmother, who's a, a part of the Stolen Generations, probably couldn't have imagined the things that I have done. So she comes to mind whenever I have the privilege of speaking, when I'm in a room with people who I look up to when I have the privilege of being in that room, when I'm (laughs) travelling, when I'm in some random country (laughs) that I've always dreamed of going to and seeing, all of these things that I think she should have had the opportunity to have and she didn't and I have it. So so I have to keep going no matter how tired I am. I can see exactly what Maddie's talking about when she talks about even finishing Year 12 – Like we're doing that for our mums and our grandmas and our great-grandmas who didn't have that opportunity and you should be so proud of yourself, Maddie. We all should because it's it's such an amazing thing. It's such a special thing. We still have such a long way to go but doing that goes back to resilience and I think that's something passed on from our ancestors. You can't even deny it. I I feel it when I'm in colonised environments like uni. I feel that resilience. I feel that strength. I feel it when I'm tired and I don't want to do it anymore. And I, I feel like I have to because of my sisters and my brother who need that role model. It's, it's resilience that 
it's passed on from our ancestors. It's it's undeniable almost. And yeah, I, I, I get that from, from my mum and my grandma. We've all had struggles that we have the privilege of not going through today. It is something that I encourage all change makers to tap into because this can be really draining work. It's my why. My why is that I want my four nieces to have a better life than I did. I don't want them to be sexually assaulted. I don't want them to date abusive partners and stay in abusive relationships. I don't want them to accept abuse at the hands of their fathers and brothers because they've been taught blood is thicker than water or whatever the fuck women are taught these days. That's my why. And when I am ready to give up on a day like today, when I have trouble getting out of bed, what eventually gets me out of bed is that I've been through it and I know that I'm strong enough to make it through it again. And I will do so because one, two, or a couple more young women will have it a little bit easier because of the work that I do. I think it's in my gene pool, my, my, my dad and my grandmother particularly, both very strong and they just kept moving, ton of people. And I think that's it. You have two choices. You either stop or you keep moving. And look, look in, some, in some ways it's probably bad because you can distract yourself with work until you're blue in the face. But, but again, if the other alternative is to stop and feel, feel bad and mope, look, sometimes that's, that's good for a period of time. But I think it's just keep, keep moving. Yeah, fortunately for me, I'm not ego-driven, so I don't actually care. I care about the research I do, about making a difference, and like I said, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm confident in what I'm doing because I've got the track record and the, you know, I've been doing research through the whole pandemic. I've got, you know, a huge number of publications in the field and that's that's the focus for me. So I think a lot of, I've noticed in my career that a lot of people spend a lot of time watching others and coveting things that they don't have. And it's just a waste of time. There's no point looking at other people and coveting. That's not the pathway to success. It's not by copying other people or trying to be other people or obsessively watching and feeling jealous about other people. That's ridiculous. Someone else's success has no bearing on your success. You know, be happy for other people's success and just follow your own pathway. That's my advice to young people, you know, follow your own pathway and stick to your guns in terms of what you believe in. That's an important part of happiness though, right, is I guess accepting those other emotions, whether it's being sad, angry, irritated, resentful, jealous, whatever that emotion is, trying to just accept it and acknowledge it and almost allow yourself to wallow in it, even though it feels really shit and uncomfortable at the time. But I think, you know, rather than just pushing it away and denying that emotion, just saying, you know what, I'm feeling resentful, I feel annoyed, I feel angry about X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And as soon as you put a name to it and accept it and acknowledge it, that feeling tends to dissipate a lot quicker because we've kind of allowed it into our lives. And I think we're probably not very good at doing that either because, No one wants to feel angry. No one wants to feel jealous or annoyed or irritated. They're not comfortable emotions for us to feel. If we had our way, of course, we'd rather feel like happy and energetic and excited and joyful all all of the time. But I don't think we get to cherry pick. I don't think we can just have those positive emotions without feeling the darker emotions as well. I'm not 
a perfect person. Like I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm pretty flawed. Uh, just ask, just ask my partner Michael. Um, but like we all are as well. Like we are all imperfect humans, just trying, trying to do our best every day. I believe that we've all got the inner resources to be able to cope with whatever life throws our way. I really believe that. I think you've got it for sure, Shirley. And so would all of the listeners of this podcast right now. I think a lot of people just never get tested, so they might not know that about themselves yet. But I think what I've always been really good at is changing my focus in that I changed what I spent my time thinking about because I knew in those early days that if I just kept ruminating on what my future may or may not look like or how I was going to be able to rebuild my life or, or the the unfairness or the injustice of it all, that would just eat me up inside. That would just make me feel sick and ill and it wouldn't do anything to help my recovery. And that's not to say that I didn't have dark days because I, of course I did. But rather than spend most of my time obsessing about that, I tried to redirect my energy and think to myself, okay, well, what's one small thing I can do today? Maybe I can make sure I do really well in my physio session. Maybe I can do 10 arm raises to try and to try and work on my shoulder flexibility. And so at the time, those goals felt a bit pathetic for me as well, because part of me was like, I'm, I'm a fit, active young person, like, and now I can't even work, walk five steps. But again, like spending time in that headspace wasn't very beneficial for me when instead I could spend my energy thinking about well what could I be grateful for today how could I make today good so rather than thinking about this massive overarching goal which you know can be a really vague thing for a lot of us to think about I more just took a step back and thought about what I could do that day there are more good people in the world than they are bad people the bad people just speak a lot louder than the good people. And so I hope in what I do, I inspire all the good people to do what in Nigeria we call sorosuke, which means speak louder. Like, you know, because that's all we need to do. We all, we just need to speak louder and drown the evil. And then we'll have a better world than we have today. What an incredible learning journey the last 10 weeks have been. Next week, our final episode of this series will look at the world through our guests' eyes. What are the experiences they've had and have every day as women leaders, as women of colour, as First Nations women, as outsiders and as women who have had to forge their own path? We will look at the examples they're setting and how we can be better leaders for the next decade. What it means to have leadership that is diverse, inclusive, sustainable, collaborative and authentic. Thank you to all our guests this season. Taria Pitt, Madison Howarth, Bronte Charles, Charlotte Ryan, Mariam Muhammad, Michaela Jade, John T. Lowe, Professor Raina McIntyre, Nina Mapson-Bone, Christy Chong, Wendy McCarthy, Sophie McCarthy and Sharon Shooter. The privilege was all mine. The Leadership Lessons podcast is produced by the talented Alison Ho and made possible through the support of Salesforce. Alison put in an incredible amount of work for this episode of The Leadership Lessons, and I am sure you will all agree she's done a phenomenal job. You can contact us via Women's Agenda or me, Shirley Chowdhury, anywhere on social media. Women's Agenda comes out every weekday, and you can read it and subscribe at womensagenda.com.au. I hope you've enjoyed this wrap-up. We'll be back with our final wrap-up for the series next week. Until then, stay safe and stay well. 
especially if you're in lockdown. We're thinking of you. Women's Agenda is proud to partner with Salesforce on this podcast series. As the world's leading CRM, Salesforce continues to be a different kind of Fortune 500 company, one that cares and gives back to the community, yet innovates like a startup. Equality is a core value at Salesforce and as a business, believes that its higher purpose is to drive equality for all. For more, visit salesforce.com.